Hello, and welcome to Make My Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jana Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. And today it's time to read the all-run for the all-team of the All-Avengers. Excelsior. What do we even say? Welcome to Jason Aaron's Avengers. We're, we're talking about it. Yeah, we're talking about it. So um, I know I wanted to do this episode because I feel like when Jason Aaron's Avengers launched, uh, he was kind of at a, a high point in his career, I think. Oh, yeah, he was hot shit. He was king shit of Hot Mountain. Yeah, because he just had like a very successful early 2000s comic career doing some kind of grungy, grimy books that I like. A lot of mm-hmm. Wolverine, a lot of crime stuff. I like Southern Bastards a lot. And then he did his Thor run, which I think is probably going to be his best remembered superhero thing, right? Would you, wouldn't you say? Yeah, his best remembered and I think his most high profile. Because yeah, high profile and like him working to the at the top of his abilities. Yeah, because, like, his Punisher stuff, I think, might still be remembered, because he did early Punisher, and then he just did a a 12-issue Punisher maxi. Yeah, all of which uh, made me have to eat my words. I thought that was going to be bad and dumb, and it was pretty cool. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing with Jason Aaron, is he's got a weird specific vibe, and um, I don't think it's to everyone's taste, especially because... Uh, early in this Avengers run, I really felt like I saw the the community consensus on Aaron kind of turn around. Oh, you know yeah, it was a about? hard turnaround. You think it was a hard turnaround? Uh, what did it look like from, from your perspective? From my perspective, it was the first few issues started coming out and already people were like, what are you doing? Like they... I think, actually, I think it took a couple arcs for people to really start being like, maybe Aaron is a one-trick pony, forgetting that he had been doing all sorts of stuff in and out of Marvel. And like yeah, most like of his non-Marvel years. stuff is very good, also. And varied. He, you know, he works in a lot of different genres and mm-hmm. with different artists and stuff. Yeah. So, like, I think people were... At first, very jazzed by Avengers because we were coming hot off the heels of... Was that all new, all different Avengers or was there something in between? Aaron was writing the first major ongoing Avengers series since the end of the Hickman run. All new, all different. Well, okay. All new, all different was 2015 to 2016. That was the Mark Wade run that sadly was not very good. No, wasn't his best work. No. You're failing me, Wikipedia. Regardless. Um, yeah. Just uh, by the end, it was so funny because at the beginning of it, I think Jason Aaron doing the Avengers makes the most sense. This is just like uh, your main event, your top series is written by one of your most popular guys after a 20-year career of critical fame. And it's so weird that the second he got Avengers, like like you said, people started turning on him. And by the end of this, as we're looking back, I feel like Jason Aaron's reputation has been kind of uh, damaged by this book. I feel Which is like a, shame. Um, a younger generation of comics fans um, I already think of him as like, yeah, he's like uh, one of those old comics I don't read. He's a hack. He's, uh, you know, he's on the list right after Liefeld to, to some Oof. of the youth. Oh, why would you do that to me? But yeah, but as as uh, you're uh, capturing with your tone, and I completely agree, I really like a lot of Aaron's stuff. And while I do have some big problems with a lot of this run, I think people kind of didn't give it a fair shake. And a lot of it was really cool and fun. 
Yeah, I agree. I do. So there's there is the it's a criticism that I've echoed a couple times here and that I saw in that this run was trying to be DC's Justice League, like really capture the same feeling uh, and like in the same way that it was trying, I think, also to ape the movies and you've got your small team, you've got your core team, you've got your your central heroes, and they are the Avengers, which is just patently false and not who the Avengers have been across their many, many iterations. It's changed a lot. Yeah, but that's what they wanted the Avengers to be, and I think Aaron took that as the challenge. Like, he made the pitch and, and whatnot, but I just... I don't know. Oh, no, that. There was, there was a, sorry, I was looking, I'm like, there was a run in between. It was Avengers Unleashed. Right, right. I was just kind of, uh, when that was out, it was clear that that wasn't going to be the uh, flagship title. But who wrote that? Who who drew that? Exactly. What the heck was this? Kang War One. Oh, it was just Mark Wade doing it again, but they put a new, they, they rebooted it. Sure. There, like you said, uh, but this is, um, there was also the Avengers No Surrender, No Road Home miniseries, which rule. Those are a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Um, came out, I think I think one of them started before this run, technically. But this is when this came out, they were like, Avengers is back. It's been gone. Yes. Now it's back. And I just I also noticed it was funny that this book also along launched alongside uh, West Coast Avengers. Uh, by Kelly Thompson. Gone too soon. Right, and you say canceled too soon. And what I think is so funny, after like one year of that, that comic left like a devastating impact. Devastatingly like good, but just like, we ne- there's no coming back after West Coast Avengers. That book uh, was a lightning bolt and, every, and, and like uh, changed the way people do what they do. And um, it got, 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 got canceled in a year. And how long did Jay Starin Avengers run? Like, like three, four, five? Uh, well, I think West Coast Avengers was eight, maybe ten issues. I don't uh-huh. I think it closed out under you. It didn't even reach twelve. I don't think. That's the book that introduced the world to Jeff the Land Shark, who is a wildly popular new probably the most popular new Marvel character in the last like ten years, it feels like. And Brodock. And Brodock, yeah. That run was amazing and classic. And um and it's just so funny yeah. how short it was and how much more impact I think it had. Yeah. Yeah. Ten ten issues. I remember more of that than I do the Jason Aaron Avengers, which I mean that, okay, that's a bit facetious, but only because there's a lot more of the Jason Aaron Avengers. Precisely. He does so much. It's, I'm not surprised that I have forgotten a lot that happened during this. Unlike I was shocked by how much I had forgotten when we were talking about the dance lot, Fantastic Four stuff. Yeah. Because it felt like nothing happened. And then I'm like, oh my God, all this stuff happened. But Jason Aaron Avengers, it kept moving. So I'm like, oh, okay. I forgot about this. I forgot about that. But I'm not surprised that I, that I missed bits of it. Well, the, the, the Jason Aaron way, the way he likes to pace his ongoing series is he always has a couple of big storylines that he's juggling uh, at once Mm-hmm. And so it's the, uh, you know, the heroes defeat one villain, that villain sinks into the background, and next time they're going to come back and something even crazier is going to happen. And this book definitely, I, I haven't counted, but I, you know, there's like three or four kind of beats that they come back to in this one. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, let's, sh- shall we start digging into the book itself? Absolutely. So I, I wanted to start at the very beginning of it. I feel like 
so many books, uh, team books are like all about the lineup, right? You need an Avengers lineup. And right from the word go, this was my perfect Avengers lineup. No notes. I like that. It kicked ass. Perfect lineup, I think. All right. You're going to have to walk me through it because I don't remember the OG lineup. Well, so um, you got Captain America. That makes sense. He leads the Avengers a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Famous from the movies. And you got Captain Marvel, who um, de facto was leading the Avengers early in the series, as well Mm -hmm. as Thor and Iron Man. Um and Black Panther. And I that's perfect. Of like that's the highest profile Marvel heroes that are associated with the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Then I kind of don't like when Hulk is on the Avengers cuz he never you know, he was on the Avengers but not really for one issue. Hulk strongest there is. Well, but She-Hulk is a classic Avenger and she's on this lineup and I love She-Hulk. Mhm. And then you need like one wild card doesn't really fit the team, isn't as experienced maybe or uh, isn't used to playing by these rules and that goes to robbie ray as ghost rider which is great because he's a fabulous character who deserves a higher profile correct and then in the very first arc dr strange is on the team which makes sense to me he's the sorcerer supreme it kind of seems like not having him on your avengers team is a waste of time because you're always going to need him in the end anyway <laughs> but um it was quickly revealed that uh the dr strange slot was kind of like a rotating slot and each arc a different major hero would take that depending on um what the story was about. Which is a, a clever way of doing it. But so that, those first five I said, Cap, Iron Man, Thor, Black Panther, Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Just like I can't, if I was, I can't imagine writing an Avengers book without those five. I feel like you need those five. And then of the other ones, those were great ones to pick, I think. Which is very interesting, again, just looking at past, when we were looking through these random eras during our Eternals run, most of them weren't on the team. <laughs> Right, and they felt like losers, and they were boring, the Avengers. I guess. I, guess. I, all, I, know, I know there are comics people out there who like it when the Avengers are not the coolest heroes around. Uh-huh. But I don't know. Uh, who, who's? It's not like Marvel is... Uh, it's not like the X-Men are their top team, even though they're their top-selling team. You think we need a... a, a... Avengers and a West Coast Avengers to constantly be going, and the West Coast gets the the B team. Sure, or they, um, I just think that the Avengers is always going to be your flagship book, and it's also the one that's most about like the superhero establishment, mm. right? Because uh, if you're on the Avengers, then you're you're making superhero decisions that affect everybody else's the ways they they hero. Okay, but the weird thing about this run, and I think what I'm ultimately going to um point to as what I think really let it down in the end is this run was completely hermetically sealed. I hardly saw any mention of it in any other Marvel series while it was coming out. Yeah, in fact, almost never. Anything that happened in this book rarely touched on anything else and vice versa. Like when Captain America was on the run, didn't feel like it in this. When Bob Ross uh, died, not Bob Ross, Bob Ross. Everett, Everett Ross <laughs> died. You know, Major Thunderbolt or whatever his name is. That wasn't Thaddeus. really felt. His name is Thaddeus. Thaddeus Ross. Thank you. But like they, <laughs> that was a whole problem also just in general back back then. I mean, there's still a bit of that that now, but well, it really I've... wasn't a it wasn't communicative between the different. Oh, what are they called? 
not the houses, you know, the little editorial wings about yeah, the op- what editorial was, offices, they call yeah, them. where stories were going. So one story would use a character in one way only to find out that, uh oh, in the actual book, that wasn't even the case. And then the, the everyone ignored the adventure stuff. It's been proven time and again that um, the best way to do this like crossover continuity stuff is just have the writers be fans of each other's books. Because I remember that there was like a month when suddenly everybody was talking about Krakoa stuff, no matter what the book was. There was a TV in the background of Ms. Marvel talking about Krakoa or something. Mm-hmm. And it was just because everyone was reading it and liking it. And uh, the same thing happened with um, a bunch of the Al Ewing stuff. I started, especially his Immortal Hulk stuff, I saw popping up in a lot of other books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess just like not a lot of the Marvel team was that excited about this. And they... No one asked them to use this continuity, and so nobody chose to. And I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, and it's a shame. It is a shame, because some of this stuff is cool, and a lot of this stuff uh, that doesn't work for me is lacking the impact of anybody else caring. Which is, what an interesting Mm -hmm. comic book study, because, like, it's the way to use the shared universe or not. Mm Mm-hmm. More about that when we talk about Quantumania. Ooh, yeah. And also, this was... It felt like Jason Aaron was doing stuff and hoping other people would pick up on it. It was really big swings. And yeah, yeah, so let's let's I wanted to go arc by arc and um, he skips around. But I think we should go kind of in chronological order and like puzzle out what worked, what didn't and where it might have gone wrong. Okay, so first arc is the final host. And we talked a little bit about this in our like grab bag Eternals episode. Mm -hmm. But... The basic premise is we've got the Avengers and suddenly we're going to completely, you know, revamp this section of Marvel lore and the the age of heroes and what it means to be like why Earth is special. Yeah. And it specifically is bringing in the Celestials in this way that when you're reading it, you can feel like um, it's supposed to be a big definitive statement. This is what the Celestials are. This is what they're about. This is what it's going to be like moving forward. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the arc, they're living in Avengers Mountain, which is the hollowed out corpse of a Celestial. Yeah, which is a a very cool and also very creepy uh, statement. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. Perfect for Aaron tone, but also... Mm -hmm. Just like a good superhero idea. Yeah, yeah. And Loki is kind of the big antagonist of this first one, hearkening back to Loki always kind of being there. In Avengers number one, because he's the villain that brought them together. Yep, yep, yep. I I don't know. I didn't love Loki's presence there, probably because I really liked what he had been doing with Loki in his Thor stuff, and this felt a little weird. But, you know, you get, you do what you got to do in your Avengers world. Yeah, but I, so that's funny because I also, when I was reading this, I was like, I'm not on board yet, but I'm interested and I can tell this has got some big ideas. So I kind of was like a little bit befuddled, but I still felt like it was promising. It was a little, this first arc is kind of ponderous. It's like very Mm -hmm. um, dark and hard to understand and like heady. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of high concept stuff. It's less about the Avengers as individuals and the Avengers as like a group and this like cosmic entity within the Marvel universe. That makes sense. Maybe cosmic is the wrong word, but, um, yeah, that has specific connotations, I guess. Yeah. But you, you know what I mean? Like, like I do know a symbol. Yeah. And, um, 
I guess I also want to mention here that uh, Avengers Mountain is, like you said, a freaking cool image and superhero idea. And what I think Jason Aaron's, like, best, most unique, amazing talent is, the thing that Jason Aaron does that no one else does, Mm -hmm. is he really gets, like, the profound stupidity at the core of superheroes, just, like, the goofy (laughs) bullshit of it. Uh Uh-huh. And he always... He consistently comes up with some idea that I've never seen someone do before, and I'm kind of just like, wow, how does nobody ever combine those elements in the superhero universe? Mm-hmm. Like, there's an issue of Wolverine and the X-Men, which he wrote, where uh, Dog Logan, who's Wolverine's long-lost brother from the not-very-well-loved Wolverine origin comic. Oh, oh, that was a real name. Yeah, gets pulled through time, and uh, he wants revenge on Wolverine, but because he's time-traveling, he has all these insane, like, esoteric weapons from these different timelines, and he keeps using them on Wolverine, and every page is just Jason Aaron being like, this is a gun that shoots nightmares, and then just, like, getting into what the hell that means. (laughs) And he's great at that. He could just fill an entire issue with just, like, weird weapons and what they do, and I will be hooked. And when this series is at its best, it's like Avengers Mountain— or the Avengers 1 million BC, which includes the unforgettable image of Ghost Rider riding a flaming mammoth in caveman times. Okay, that, that part was pretty cool. Just like, it's really fucking metal, and uh, and he's great at being really fucking metal. Yeah, for sure. The second arc is called World Tour, and Elias, I love this arc. I think this <laughs> is an all-time Avengers classic. Am I crazy? I don't know. It's been a while since I read this one. I'm I'm ref- I'm like just scrolling through covers to try and refresh myself on what happened in every issue of World Tour, but basically they they're going to all sorts of different um areas around the world, you know, surveying the uh, not not the damage from from the final host, but they they're kind of Laying the the stage, the setting the setting the stage, laying the groundwork for what's to come, and like what the Avengers are going to be, what the Avengers are doing, and well, who they're going to be like up against. Well, like the interesting thing about this is, um, this so the, this starts the first uh, arc was like crazy cosmic superhero bullshit, but this is where we're slowing down a little bit and we're getting into how this Avengers team is going to operate. And so they're living in a freaky celestial. Mm-hmm. And even though Captain America, Captain America's on the team, but T'Challa's on the team, they are from different countries. And so um, they're trying to be like uh, superheroes without borders. They're be- they're not national. And what I love about World Tour is it starts getting into uh, all the different nations that have like superhero teams mm. that to the people in the nation, those are the, the greatest heroes in the world. But like around the world, they're more controversial figures. Yeah. So you got the uh, the Defenders of the Deep. Is that what Namor's team is called? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and just when I, I was like, I don't fucking care about Namor shit. And then when they started getting, I thought it was so fun. It, it just the Atlanteans love these weird shark people who protect the seas. And there's a freaky Russian team with like Ursa Major, who's a werebear. Hmm. <laughs> love Ursa Major. And there's like a mysterious new Red Widow who's on the Russian team. And that's name is intriguing just like and also this is where they set up um phil colson is here he is inexplicably evil as hell right phil 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 yeah for just for some reason it like um 
it's it's not a bad thing. It's just very surprising because he's always seems kind of like a like a sweet dweeb. Mm-hmm. And I like that that characterization. I actually really like that that swing. I was like, oh, oh, what's going on? Well, yeah, because it seems like it's this great criticism of like nationalism because Coulson is such like a is so loyal to the flag mm-hmm. that he is like doing horrific things to make an American superhero team that can beat the Avengers because the Americans like can't live with the idea that anyone could beat them. <laughs> and like, yeah, and like Aaron knows what he's what he's doing there. Mm-hmm. We see that we meet the agents of Wakanda again. Oh my god! I le- and they got a spin a short lived spinoff that was actually really really fun. Yep, and uh, She Hulk and uh, Thor hook up, which is fine. That's fine. Gorilla Man's there. Love Gorilla Man. Love Gorilla Man's my best Man. friend. Ken Hale. I don't know. I mean, yeah this this arc was fulfilling. I think a bit of the promise of uh, Hickman's X Men. Each issue self-contained kind of focused on a character or self-focused on like really developing all of and and pointing in many different directions each one but still being sort of united yeah and that's a good place to put yourself in as the second arc you know you went big and now you went small and now you can go in all these different directions absolutely i remember that people weren't liking this and i'm like no this is getting good you guys stick with this this is gonna this is building towards something and I was not uh, entirely right. <laughs> but I maintain that I really think that Aaron's idea of like international politics, espionage, the where superheroes do and don't intersect with the military industrial complex, like that stuff is all really thoughtful and cool. And it's, he, you know, he's on the right side of everything. He's not doing it. He's not saying anything crazy that I don't think he knows what he's talking about. I mm-hmm. feel like if Jason Aaron was doing a more grounded, less cosmic, more uh, Cold War nations spying on each other kind of Avengers book, that would have been the best. Yeah, I, I I have to agree. I think his predilection for going pie in the sky as wild as possible was was a detriment to that part of it. Because if this was all pure, just batshit nonsense <laughs> in in the Jason Aaron vein, I think it might have been more well-received. Maybe people would have been like, why isn't this like a secondary book? Like, why is this the main Avengers book? But it wouldn't have been, I think, as divisive as it turned out to be. I Hard to say, but I agree. Yeah. Even, even though I don't think it was a total failure. Arc by arc, I think each arc... Well... We'll we'll get to it. I was gonna say I think each arc works well, but eh, even the worst arc works well as an arc. It just when you then take it in the context of the whole thing, you're like, what the hell was this doing here? Yeah, and there's some inexplicable uh, bad judgments calls later in the run. Yeah, but like the Squadron Supreme stuff, which comes out of the Coulson and, and everything, I thought that was. That was the part. That was the thing I was waiting in every issue to come back to. Yeah, that was the most intriguing, most mysterious. It was kind of scary. It just it hit a lot of emotional buttons. Yeah, and then also like the the geopolitics too. Yeah, especially with like with Black Panther being the head of it, and therefore the United States is distrustful of the Avengers because for once it's not an American at the head. Right. That was great. Yes, and um, Black Panther becomes the chairperson of the Avengers, and I really like that the 
that they have a cha- an elected chair, which is a tradition that's being kept up with in the continuing series now. Mm-hmm. The next, next arc. arc is War of the Vampires, and this arc freaking rules, right? <laughs> I remember so little of it. So but... this arc. Oh yes, yes, yes. This arc and it just took. There was a lot of crazy vampire bullshit going on in the background in Marvel. So this arc. Um, had them go to war with each other, which they've done before. I think Aaron's even written that before with X-Men characters. Probably. Because some of these characters, I remember him writing in his Wolverine books. Mm-hmm. But there's the vampires are all going to war. People are caught in the middle. And there's a bunch of just like different superhero incidents. I remember Captain America is rescuing people from like a burning church in Eastern Europe and just reflecting on... a. Uh, how ironic it is that they need to let a church on fire to get him to come in and like what some of his contemporaries from the 40s might think of that. Just like good little (laughs) character beats. And it had all these insane vampire weapons like bats that were holding suicide sunlight bombs that would like dive. And that was a joy to read too. It's it's wild, wild Aaron running on all cylinders. Yeah, it's it's like wild ideas, uh, sweet character beats and interactions And the boldest choice in the arc, which I loved at the time, but I'm like rethinking now, Mm -hmm. is how it culminates in um, Dracula building his new castle in Chernobyl. See, I still think that's a good, it was a good impulse and a good move. Totally. It's freaking metal as hell. Yeah. I get why you're like, oh, maybe not so great, but also, you know. All of the stuff around it kind of works. I guess I want to live in a world where there can be a comic about Dracula making a castle out of Chernobyl, and I don't feel weird about it. And it's not Jason Darren's fault that that, that's not the world we live in right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's, uh... Um, But War of the Vampires, again, it's like about the international reaction to these, uh, the, the civil war between the creatures of the night. Mm -hmm. perfectly on point great uh, use of all the russian super characters introduced in the last arc i think i have less not fond memories of this one but i'm disappointed because it was so cool and such a great like statement and then no one picked up on it no one did anything with it interesting X-Men are fighting vampires, and it's just, like, the same bullshit. It's not Dracula Chernobyl. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Aaron does do a little bit more with it, but it feels like, at le- especially at this point, what he was trying to do was kind of each arc, you know, have something cool happened that other people could pick up on while his major stuff was running in the background, and he could, like, plug it in as it You're went. Right. Uh, but it never quite coalesces by the end. Yeah, each and, each mm-hmm. arc he takes a character that he thinks uh, needs a change of direction and gives them a dramatic one. Mm-hmm. So next was War of the Realms. Two wars in a row. Bad luck, I guess. Yeah, uh, War of the Realms, the war- which I guess he also mm-hmm. wrote. I just he remembered. Did. Yep. War of the Realms event. Excellent. This tie-in, I think it was pretty good. Uh, I, in my, uh, I did a... A, well, I did an entire review of, of Jason Aaron's uh, Thor run from start to finish, and I did War of the Realms, and I read every single tie-in and ranked them. Well, I didn't power rank them. I gave them, like, silly, here's what I'm feeling by the end. So there's a lot of 10 out of 10s for issues that are, you know, pretty okay. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's what happened with these. I was like, yeah, they're pretty good. They're they're fun. It's a it's a tie-in. It feels like a tie-in, but it doesn't feel inessential. There's enough moving forward of the Avengers stuff, but I mean, it's just more War of the Realms things. Yeah, you can read my short funny reviews at multiversitycomics.com under the column worthy. It's <laughs> a pretty great website and I recommend you do that. But what I I just I wanted to say that War of the Realms is an interesting place to take a break because I uh, after this I'm still really uh vibing with this book and I'm excited to see what it does next. So let's see what it does next after the break. <laughs> Hello, my name is Alice W. Castle, and I host Force Ghost Coast to Coast on the Multiverse A Podcast Network. Each episode, we discuss all the news from the galaxy far, far away, from movies to comics to novels to TV to games and everything in between. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. Come join us next time, and may the Force be with you. And welcome back. We're talking Jason Aaron's Avengers. And one thing I forgot to mention when we were talking about War of the Vampires is that's when Blade joins the team and he stays for quite a while. Yeah, I kind of feel like they abandoned their notion of um, having that be like an uh, ever-changing uh, member and they just stuck with Blade for most of the rest of the series. Yeah, it, the whole team kind of solidified by the time we reached war of the realms it was no longer this this you know turnover we had our main people and that's about it which is a shame what one thing i forgot was she hulk having issues with her hulk form at this point was that part of it I I see that I'm a little fuzzy on the timing exactly, but right after Civil War 2 is when She-Hulk started, like, hulking out, like, her cousin hulking out. Okay, so that's before this, because... Yeah, uh, but I don't think she's had another series since then where she's bounced back, really. Okay. Because I remember at the beginning of this, they were using, like, some gamma gadgets to help regulate her, but she would uh, get, like, really beefy and mad. Mmm, right. Right, right, right. That was also like, um, I, it was interesting, but weird when, um, like you said, uh, Thor and She-Hulk are hooking up at this point. So whenever Thor meets Jen Walters and they have nothing in common and it's like kind of sad, it was a pretty amazing beat. <laughs> that came up again and again. Sad boy Thor is, is probably my favorite. Well, you're just kind of like sad to watch. It was just like, uh, like Jen Walters is a nice lady and Thor isn't treating her that right. No, no, he is not. The next story is Challenge of the Ghost Riders, which, according to our notes here, you do not remember at all. No, no, I don't. I, I the more we talked to it, the more I looked into it. I was like, right, it was a, a you know, it was a drag race through hell, and because they had to figure out who was the best of the Ghost Riders or something, and Cosmic Ghost Rider shows up because uh, he had to tie into him because he was popular, and I remember so little of this, and I just wrote also. Uh, Nightwing did it better. I don't know if I've read that one. Ben Percy writing Nightwing did it really? better. Yeah. His, you know, I, did ben I heard Percy's run on Nightwing is actually pretty good. It just got cut short because I guess when Tom King decided to shoot Nightwing in the head, Percy was like, peace, I'm out. I just need to check. So this is drawn by Stefano Caselli, who we all like, right? 
good mm-hmm. artist lousy work on this arc i think the arc kind of lets it down because and maybe the script the script is also to blame but it's a drag race through hell but it doesn't i this it's completely like nebulous there's no real sense of space or dimensions yeah you you don't get that daniel warren johnson rush of energy in a panel or like the really awestruck sense of space you just you're just kind of like here's someone on a bike there's someone on a bike there's some flames there's some big pillars now they're spinning out yeah it was yeah and this was kind of the big the but on paper i love this idea i love a drag race between ghost riders it's been done before and it's always fun or it's usually fun <laughs> i mean it happens again when ben percy writes ghost rider <laughs> And this is also a great spotlight for this is supposed to be Robbie kind of learning more about his powers and stuff. And I like I love that. But yeah, the story itself wasn't that great. Yeah. Then we have Starbrand Reborn. Do you remember this one? No. I think this was the COVID arc. That's interesting. I didn't really uh, think about that. No, but- this was the pr- right before COVID was when this arc was coming out. I th- I'm looking at release dates. I'm like, when did it end? It might have ended before things really shut down. Yeah, this was the right before uh, COVID shut down the industry. That's really interesting. I wonder. I, w- I wonder how much that affected things because then we didn't have new comics to read, so we were just talking about the most recent ones. And uh, Starbrand Reborn is really where this starts to sour. I think. This was, there's a new star brand and now we have Black Widow with the team and they're in space and they're fighting the brood. Yeah, hold up. I need to complain about every word you just said. <laughs> um, okay. First of all, why does there need to be a new star brand? We haven't said anything with the old star brand. <laughs> star brand was this thing that uh, Hickman brought into the comics in his Avengers because star brand was in um, Marvel MC2, a not well-remembered Ooh. comic for, that came out when Hickman was a kid in the, uh, not, not a kid, but when he was younger and reading comics mm-hmm. in the 80s. And... And his star brand was cool and mysterious and doesn't do much and is like still out there for the taking. And now we just have like a new star brand and we're all running around and star I brands. I think just... the implication is the old star brand is dead. Yeah, I don't think but... you can have a new star brand until the old star brand is dead. Probably. But like, why kill the old star brand? We I don't know. I don't... We haven't seen Ex Nihilo since the run. And we all love Ex Nihilo. <laughs> I do. He's got that stupid golden horn. Yeah, he's great. He's got a big Omega on his chest. Like dark yeah. side, but nice. <laughs> like nice side. Mm. And the I... other thing I want to complain about is Black Widow comes in. Now, Okay. let's start me on Black Widow for a second. Black Widow is like not really a classic Avengers team member. Black Widow's, the fun of Black Widow in her uh, 80s and 90s appearances was uh, her duplicitous nature which is right there in the, her name, right? Mm-hmm. But then Black Widow was the only female founding member of the movie Avengers, and suddenly everyone's like, oh, Black Widow, the most proudly serving Avenger for so long. She's got red in her ledger, haven't you heard? Uh, right. And 
So, like, bringing Black Widow in, I'm already kind of, like, skeptical. And bringing Black Widow in to go into outer space to fight this nebulous villain who she has no relationship with just, like, completely snapped the the interest that was tethering me to the book. <laughs> you would much rather have it been Rogue? Yeah, that sounds great now. And Rogue has... Actually, we history. did get this a similar version of this story uh, in Kelly Thompson's uh, Captain Marvel. That's right. Um, and that was a fun team-up through uh, just, like, cool heroes that needed more page time. Mm-hmm. Like Hazmat. Yeah. Love Hazmat. Yeah. Yeah. But I also remember that I think it was... Now, it's coming back to me, and I, I, I might not be 100%, but in my recollection, the last page of the last issue and the solicit before the comics industry shut down for COVID... Uh-huh was introducing the new She-Hulk costume. Do you remember the new She-Hulk costume? Was that the pink one? That was the, yeah, it's like pinkish, purplish, uh, two-piece, like, uh, bathing suit made of, like, metal. Yes. I'm trying to... I I can see it in my head, but, like... I found it. Okay. Okay. This is the... So this one, Race I think was... Race me with its presence. So, uh, if you look at our chat... I'm pretty sure that this was the last page of Jason Aaron's Avengers before COVID. This was the, the note that they end on. If she all comes out Let's and she looks see. like that. Oh, God. Yeah. So you want to try to describe it as best you can for our readers? Oh, and by readers, I mean listeners. I'm afraid to. Okay. So it's not a two-piece suit. It's like a ten-piece suit. You know because what? That's true. she has... On her hands, it's basically fingerless gloves, but the fingerless part... No, yeah, it's entirely fingerless gloves that kind of go up to her wrist. And then a little band on one of her biceps, or on both sides. And then she's wearing, like, this ugly bra with purple in the middle... So that it looks like eyeballs. It looks like alien eyes that are staring at you. And then she's especially like, because the coloring makes the textures look very like uh, synthetic and plasticky. Yeah, yeah. And then she's got a bikini with the again the purple on the sides, and there's this little V cut out in the middle. So the whole thing is just it is. It's a giant V with with yeah. And then on her on her legs is the same thing as on her arms, uh, except is... weirder and worse. They're like spiky. And... Well, they're spiky in both places, but and there's like look, they're it's it's just so much weirder. They're like knee pads, but they're on her thighs. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Oh, and there are also arrows pointing up and down, like these tiny little arrows uh, on the the bra piece. One pointing up at her face, and one pointing down at her abs. It is a truly reprehensible costume, and I feel like. Uh, yeah, and I remember I remember being really bummed. I remember just, I saw this page and I was like, oh, fuck that. I was already bummed that She-Hulk was like angry She-Hulk now, because that's no fun. Mm-hmm. Why make her like the other one, but not as interesting? Yeah. When she's got her own great thing. And yeah, and it like, it's it, it's like shockingly regressive, right? It, it's like unbelievable how it feels like no woman ever saw this page before it was published. Can't disagree. I feel like some artists as with many of these terrible costumes, drew it better. Some of them it looked like like more like uh, athleisure, like athletic wear, like she just walked out of the gym. 
Yeah, which I'm much cooler with. In her current uh, eponymous series, she wears that sort of athletic wear, and it's great. Yeah, but it, yeah, the specifically the image that I was sent, because I think I just blocked out this costume entirely. Well, this was its introduction, and then it stuck around for the rest of the arc. And the series, I believe. Maybe. I Like I said, I still don't... <laughs> I still don't remember it well, beyond this. Well, just like I, I'm now reflecting how funny it is that for months without comics, we were just like, wow, fuck that book. If they ever make more of it, I'm never going to read it. That She-Hulk costume is awful. And I also remember in the story, she's wearing it because it's like, uh, she's like, I got to change my costume because I need like a gamma regulator. What's it? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, this is your like, this cool, awful bathing suit is your, your gamma monitor. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And then we got two single issues of very of one Tony Stark in the Ice Age and another following the Squadron Supreme. Uh, oh, no, no, all of the different villains, the so Squadron Supreme, Namor, the vampires, Ursa Major, all that kind of intrigue. And Aaron had been doing this throughout. Like he usually has one or two issues in between every arc that's checking in on the larger story, on kind of the side story, on a single character. And I like that as a structure. Me too. Especially for something that's going for long and big. I think that's really smart. Absolutely. It's a, it's a nice uh, palate mm-hmm. cleanser. And that's actually where it ended. So Earth's Mightiest Villains, issue 32, that's when COVID, it came out March 11th, 2020. (laughs) Uh, And then the next issue was two months later, kicking off the Age of Khonshu. What a dud of an arc. You go first, because I have have thoughts, but I'm curious. I just, it's so inessential and dull and like it says nothing interesting about moon knight it doesn't do anything interesting with khonshu the avengers are there it's just an alternate universe tale that ultimately has no bearing and unlike like the war of the vampires all of the cool imagery here feels kind of like silly and not in a fun way like i loved seeing all the random pyramids and whatnot and the space mummies but it it i don't i I can't express what didn't connect in this arc because i read it and i still kind of remember it i just remember thinking throughout i'm like wow not not his strongest and the longer i've gone i'm like "Eh, i think This this was a a poor choice this is where it starts to feel too big. Yeah, and it put the Avengers against Moon Knight, and Moon Knight had not been a character up to this point in this way. Like, what was he doing here? Why? What caused this? And I guess that was kind of the point. They're like, here's another big cosmic event that they have to deal with. Uh, and then no one talks about it. No one talks uh, about the Age well, of Conchu that- happening, even though... Mark Spector still re- remembers it. The Avengers still remember it. The entire world went sand. That's what I was going to say is it gets way too big because as you're reading it, you're like, I know that nobody is going to ever remember that this happened. It, and it completely, uh, it's like, it's so big that it can't stick, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause it's, it, it should be really profound. But like you said, it's not saying anything profound. It's just like, the biggest possible thing. Yeah, and everyone on Earth, like, I think the moon disappears at one point. Yeah, the moon's disappeared, like, three or four times in the last few years in comics. That's true. It disappears in, um, No Road Home, too. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, no, the Earth disappears. They teleport the Earth to the other side of the galaxy, and then all the superheroes need to, like, support the atmosphere desperately while Scarlet Witch travels through time with Conan the Barbarian. That comic is good. That comic is good. But we should probably get moving because we've got a few more arcs to get through. That's true. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, King in Black. King in Black was an okay story. There's some tie-in issues here, and um, they are no better or worse than the event as a whole, in my humble opinion. Yep. No, I have no thoughts on that. King in Black is uh, out of my head. Enter the Phoenix. So then we get up to Enter the Phoenix. Now, that uh, that Starbrand Reborn arc, I really didn't like. I didn't like the Black Widow. I didn't like the She-Hulk there. Age of Khonshu was boring. Enter the Phoenix is so profoundly stupid that this is basically where I fall off the book. So I read this and I was like, oh, a tournament arc. That could be fun. And it ended up just being like a big old nothing burger that gave uh that at the end echo was became the phoenix sure um which is not a bold decision that makes any sense to me yeah yeah the the fighting tournament is weird because it's they're fighting for the for the phoenix to bond with the phoenix but in marvel stories that's usually seen as a bad thing people don't want to bond with the phoenix <laughs> yeah, I think this was him starting to work with the Phoenix stuff so that he could set up the like sort of not really twist that the Phoenix was one of Thor's moms. And yeah, because I think he'd been teasing that out about like the truth behind Thor's parentage. And it just turns out that she was one of the spoilers uh people who helped raise him but she was not actually his mom in the way that it was implied and there is a phoenix in the avengers 1 million bc caveman times who's like a red-headed woman who looks like the the phoenix or whatever but yeah. um like the cosmic part of it where he's trying to set up like the myth of the avengers over time mm-hmm. the phoenix is a recurring force but the tournament felt unmotivated to me i didn't understand why anyone wanted to win it and the comic wasn't telling me the mm-hmm. actual fights weren't that interestingly drawn. And again, I had no sense of space, like where this was happening. It would be the tournament arts are fun because they're happening on like some creepy villains island, which you have to like infiltrate dressed as a guard to eavesdrop or something. Yeah, this was this was just a series of fights and people talking smack pretty much. <laughs> um, and Echo winning seems random because like his cavewoman time uh, Phoenix is uh you know is connected to Jean Grey and Echo is not connected to Jean Grey, which seems to be the move, like get the Phoenix away from her and associate it with someone else. Yeah, but it's really muddled, and I feel like the other big problem is this story came out around the time that Hawkeye was debuting on Disney Plus and was rather widely watched and liked, if I recall. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. and that introduced Echo and sets up a spinoff with Echo. But that's the more traditional version of Echo, where she's a deaf ninja uh, operating in New York City against organized crime. Mm-hmm. No Phoenix Force stuff. So just like as you're reading the comic, you're like, wow, no one can be bothered to care about Echo as the Phoenix. Won't appear in another comic. And when the TV show comes out, they're going to erase it. Right? Probably, yeah. So this is about where I start losing patience with it. And I keep on coming back to it every so often. And some of it's good. But, uh... This is, yeah, this just soured me completely on the series until the next story to come out is Heroes Reborn. 
Yeah, which doesn't really happen during his, like in the main books, the things get renumbered. It's a special miniseries or whatever. But Heroes Reborn is picking up on, again, the best part of his whole run, the Squadron Supreme stuff. And I think it delivered on everything that was promised for the arc. Essentially, Worlds gets rewritten. And the Avengers are no longer in existence. The Squadron Supreme of America are the big... They are the heroes, and we really get that kind of... uh, The vibe of who the Squadron Supreme are supposed to be, which are... The fascist Justice League. Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, as a fan of J. Michael Straczynski's stuff, he did a bunch of Squadron Supreme things in the mid-2000s, like really dark comics yeah hard to recommend even though they're quite good yeah but this is less dark but the same kind of vibe world's been reset and now they're all trying to figure out what's going on and they're trying to rebuild the avengers in the shadows Mm -hmm. just only blade remembers which is fun because he's kind of the outsider on the team so but he's not the one who has to reunite them that's a cool story idea and um and this is the arc where uh for the first time in a while like that that jason aaron thing starts really uh clicking because all of the characters in the ultimate universe are hilarious <laughs> yeah. like uh what was dr juggernaut was a character right which was dr doom and who was also juggernaut i think i think that's who it was yeah i he mean was my favorite there's doc spectrum but that's one of the that's a squadron supreme yeah anyway yeah and it's kind of funny if you cut out the last three stories if you uh Go from War of the Realms and I guess Challenge of the Ghost Rider, but then you skip Starbrand, which is a stinker, Kanji, which is a stinker, and Phoenix, which is a stinker. If Heroes Reborn is the next thing you read, perfect. Perfect. And, I mean, there's some stuff in there that probably sets up Heroes Reborn. But again, after that, though, the Squadron Supreme go away. Uh, Nighthawk's the only one that kind of sticks around. And I think that was to the detriment of the entire rest of the run. The shift away from... uh, He wrapped up... Basically, he wrapped up all the geopolitics. Uh, You know, he kind of wraps up the next set in World World War She-Hulk, which is right after this. Uh, But Heroes Reborn really felt like the end of the the interesting parts to me. And now we're dealing with all of the, the other bullshit that's going on in the background with Mephisto and vampires and I just I I enjoyed the rest of it but I had kind of stopped caring at that point yeah I mean same um I I read this entire series mm -hmm. because I was just enjoying I was happy to enjoy a Jason Aaron Mm -hmm. comic again but the next arc I saw was called World War She-Hulk and featured that She-Hulk with a terrible costume on all the covers and I was like excuse me I actually liked this arc. You like this arc? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was fun. Tell me about this arc then. I've only uh, when it was coming out, I was like grumpy, skimming it grumpy, and then today I was skimming it again, a little less grumpy. But what's what's so fun about this? I mean, She Hulk is kidnapped by the Red Widow and is essentially it um, not inculcated, uh... um, indoctrinated. Thank you, indoctrinated and becomes a an agent of the red room so she is she turns into a traitor and 
they are able to use her gamma. Like the first issue is set up thinking that she's going to be saved by, you know, by the Avengers and whatnot, but they get there too late. Uh, and whatever was going wrong with her with the gamma has like fully gone complete banner Hulk Gur, and then also sublimated to the red rooms will. And I kind of liked having her be this, like, nigh-unstoppable, just, like, machine that the Avengers are trying to deprogram while she beats them up. Like, I kind of liked that as a concept. I liked how it was, you know, playing on a lot of the the background political tensions. You had some people trying to undercut it from the inside. You had, you know, the Gorilla Man and the Ursa Major stuff. It felt like the coming of it, uh, you know, it all came to a head. And then I think, does she take out Atlantis again? I'm, I'm not going to be able to. I think well, she takes that, out no, Atlantis that, again. You're actually, you're skipping to the next arc, which is the Death Hunters. Uh, did I? Yeah, because. That's what happens in the Death Hunters? That's the beginning of the Death Hunters. Oh. Death Hunters begins with, um, or maybe, uh, well, I don't remember exactly the timing. Like I said, this is where I was a little tuned out. No, Death Hunters are the multiversal masters of evil. That's when they come in. And that's where things start getting stupid and not in a fun way for me. Yeah, like I'm like, we got the Black Skull and the Ghost Goblin. And And like, they're all cool. They're fine. He starts to really lean too heavily on that, on the the essential. Basically, he's turning the just the the avengers into the justice league in the way that they are like an essentialist way you know what and i'm realizing really you takes mm-hmm. you're making me realize um he's trying to do like a neil gaiman here in gillen it's about stories in it kind of story kind of yeah and he did he did that kind of stuff in thor he did that with the hammer he did that with with odin and and his relationship with thor and his relationship with his parents and i don't think it works here because the characters i don't i don't like that the characters are recurring through time and the universe in these like same essential ways Mm -hmm. the canon i don't think he did the canon well in the same way that like spider-verse did Interesting. I learned, I love that comparison. Yeah, I don't think he makes the argument well for why, one, our Avengers are so cool, but also why, you know, super mega ultra doom is scarier than ultra mega super doom. Yeah, it, it's it's like... um, It has the Dragon Ball Z problem. And it's like a kid trying to explain to you which action figure is most powerful and you just, but like it's nonsense and you can't understand it. And you're just like, kid, I would be really interested. Mm-hmm. But you're not being clear with me right now. Yeah. It also like, so the multiversal masters of evil are kind of set up because we know Mephisto is grabbing these villains throughout time. Like that's, that happens throughout the series. But yeah. that was kind of never that intriguing. And on paper, I I don't I can't think of a really good Avengers versus Mephisto story, but I also don't consider this one to be. Yeah. So, the Death Hunters, uh, that's one where I genuinely did not remember anything that happened in that arc. 
Uh, and now I know why. It's because it all just this entire like last 20, 25 issues, which includes the Avengers Forever spinoff, which I actually liked most of that. <laughs> and uh, just he basically does he does a, a time runs out type of thing. Yeah. And but it felt kind of derivative and had the like, yeah. time runs out is the better version of this. And that that's, I think, what a lot of this ending part feels like. It it doesn't have it, it's very derivative. With, yeah. Even though he's still throwing in really fun concepts like a, a T-Rex star brand or like that one issue that takes place in the Wild West. Yeah. But as you're saying, you know, I'm like, ah, I've seen it all before on the Justice League cartoon in 2001. It was still cool to see. It wasn't not cool to see, but just like that, that as your grand statement at the end of the the multiversal Mm -hmm. masters of evil are introduced way too late. They're a little bit too mustache twirly to really get attached to. Yeah. And you're you're never under any delusion that they pose any sort of threat to anything. You know, it's just going to end in a sky laser fight, which is basically what happens. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm being pretty harsh. Um, Mostly, I guess at this point. Yeah, it just kind of like ran out of steam for me. My my conclusion is there's a lot of fun arcs in here, and I would actually um, I would recommend doing a selective reading of this comic. Interesting. Reading um, Final Host into World Tour into War of the Vampires into War of the Realms and Challenge of the Ghost Riders, and then skipping straight to Heroes Reborn, and then skipping straight into Avengers Forever. Yeah, and maybe reading a couple of those like interstitial issues. The ones that focus on the interesting bits. I don't remember which one. I actually liked The Temptation of Tony Stark. That was the one where he's sent back to the Ice Age. I thought I that, that one was too. fun. That um, was a highlight. Yeah. But yeah, Avengers Forever. I liked most of it. And then we started, again, getting the the big armies of the same characters. And once they started fighting the Multiverse of Masters of Evil and all of that... It lost me. It was it was too big. It was too much. And it was uh, it was too weightless. Weightless is exactly the right word. Yeah. So what's I guess the the final or what's our final judgment or like the Celestials thumbs up, thumbs down. Can we judge it? I mean, it would judge itself to be necessary and thus it must get a thumbs up. (laughs) No, I I, um, I think this arc is a real bummer because there this one's a real bummer to me because I can all, really in good conscience I can only point to one Avengers run as spectacular and that's the Hickman run. Mhm. There is some Avengers uh series or runs here or there which are a lot of fun or pretty good at times and I, this is definitely one of those. It's not the bottom of the barrel for sure. You know, B plus stuff most often. Mhm. But I really wanted this to continue making the Avengers feel vital and at the top of the food chain as they're being presented. Mm -hmm. And it's really had the opposite effect. And that's so tragic to me, considering this could have been so much better. Yeah, it was started with the promise of being every book an event, as I like to say, as other people like to say, and as Jason Aaron liked to say he's like I'm going as big as I can every time and I think that was the wrong impulse and I noticed there were there were definitely a few times where I'm like this is Asgard Shi'ar war levels of weird that was my least favorite arc in his Thor stuff 
And it uh, this has a lot of those problems amped up. But at the same time, I think Jason Aaron knows how to structure a long-term story. And even if like I did not agree with or like the story beats themselves, and sometimes the execution, he at least paced it all pretty well to get to the end where I didn't feel like he was having Mephisto being an asshole or like that kind of stuff. We can quibble and argue with like whether any of it was good. What you're making but, me realize is um, mm-hmm. I think is really ins- the reason I'm, I enjoy reading it is I find it really instructive in success and failure. I feel yes. like if you want to learn what does and doesn't make a comic work, this covers every possible point on the spectrum. Yeah, except maybe the truly heinous. Or the truly uh, transcendent, but it... Yeah. From uh, from D- minus to B+. Plus. <laughs> I, I don't think they're, they're going to quote us and put that on the back of the... Uh inevitable omnibus from d minus to b plus marvel you can have that one for free don't even have to ask us about it i I hereby grant you if you put that on the cover we're cool with it what do you think its legacy is going to be do you think people will remember the whole of it more fondly over time or do you think it's people are going to sour on it i think that um there's i think it's going to be a lot like um like maybe the Grant Morrison X-Men run, not in terms of quality, but in terms of it's widely read and has so many weird little ideas that people want to do more with. Like how Blade gets this like plant sword made of grass. Boy and he, thing. Yeah, yeah, and he gets boy thing, the son of man thing. Just like, that's all fun and out there and somebody's going to want to include that in a comic sometime. So I think this is going to become somewhat of a cult classic even though it's a pretty uh, flawed series overall. Not unlike that Guardians of the Galaxy read we did. Yeah, that's fair. So, now that we have reached the end, are you ready for what comes next? No, patently, absolutely not. Well, before before we get there, where can they find you on the larger interwebs, Jaina? Can they? Um... You know, last episode, I uh, or the last couple episodes, I mentioned my letterbox, and that's actually been getting a lot more follows than anything else I have on the internet. So come find me on ramblingmoose.letterbox.com. I give movie star ratings there and sometimes write lists. Hey, well, you know we love a good list. We know we love a good list, and I'm still being published on multiversitycomics.com. Uh, yourself, Elias, where can they find you? They can find me writing over at multiversitycomics.com. They can email me at erosner at multiversitycomics.com. And my Twitter's there. I just have to bite the bullet and shut it down. Um, I haven't shut mine down either. I don't enjoy being there. Sometimes I I, uh, need specific information there, especially about comic book artists. Oh, that's, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I just keep getting crypto ads and I hate it. That is pretty heinous. Um, yeah. I don't think we mentioned what we are doing for next time. If people uh, no, wanna... because we really wanted to avoid it. <laughs> but uh, we watched Quantumania, and we're going to talk about it because I think we're both fans of Ant Man, and we're disappointed by the reaction to Quantumania. And yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it. Don't you worry. This episode was uh, edited by Livian Safir and our 
theme music is Excelsior by Carol Romo. <sighs> God, Quantumania. Excelsior. <laughs> Thank you.